Hello, and welcome to another episode of Peer Connections by Global Peer Financing Association, GPFA. My name is Shireen Silva. I work in the business management team for Big and Capital Markets at Australian Super. Today, I'm joined by Joris Hillman, Head of Capital Markets, and Mike Fitzsimmons, Manager Securities Lending. Welcome, Joris and Mike. Maybe you can start by giving our listeners a bit of background on yourselves. Thanks, Shireen. My name is Joris Hillman. As Shireen said, I'm Head of Capital Markets. I've been three years with Australian Super, and before that, I worked for ING Asset Management and Macquarie Asset Management globally in the Netherlands, the UK, and in Australia. And my name is Mike Fitzsimmons. I'm the Manager Securities Lending within the Capital Markets team at Australian Super. I've been at Aussie Super for eight years and have worked in a variety of roles through investment operations to fixed income and currency management. And prior to my role at Aussie Super, I worked at the Future Fund, which is Australia's sovereign wealth fund. Mike, perhaps you can provide some background on Australian Super that might set the scene before we get into more detail about securities financing. Sure thing. So Australian Super is a superannuation fund, which is the equivalent of a pension fund or super funds, as they're called in Australia. It's a defined contribution fund and employers are mandated to contribute on behalf of employees around 10% of employees' salaries. Australian Super has 2.4 million members or one in 10 Australians and around 200 billion Australian dollars in assets under management or around US 150 billion. And the fund has grown in size by between 10 and 20% AUM each year for the past 10 to 12 years. So very strong inflows and a fairly young member base. So that means that we have a large proportion of growth assets. As an investor, we're an active investor. We're active in ESG as well. So we commit to carbon neutral. We have some restrictions on things like tobacco and just an active portfolio management policy as well. The other big thing that's worth mentioning is that Before 2013, we were entirely externally managed from a portfolio management perspective. We did have some asset allocation in-house, but from that point in time, we've been gradually internalising management of assets and around 40 to 50% internally managed now. And one of the recent teams assembled within that internal management is Capital Markets, which Joris could probably talk a little bit about. Uh, Joris, just leading on to that, so one of the more recently created internal capabilities is the capital markets team. Can you tell me how this originated and what the role of the capital markets function is? Sure. So about three years ago, we were thinking about how to optimise our internal structure and to maybe centralise all our implementation and exposure management. With this, we constructed the capital markets function where we combine all our trading activities, which trade for all our internal portfolios and also all our overlay portfolios. Secondly, our exposure management team, they basically manage all our exposures. They implement all our asset allocation, do all the rebalancing that comes from member flow. They also do all our currency hedging and also our internal transition management. And thirdly, our balance sheet management team. The balance sheet management team looks at our liquidity also initial margining and stock lending is a big part of that. So we combine these two to basically centralize our operational risk to be much quicker in the market 
and to really have the assets in one hand where we can implement when we want and how we want and really have that centralized function. Mike, that leads into the securities lending program. Can you discuss how that program has developed over time? Sure. The origins of the program are probably similar to many programs where securities lending was originally with a single agent lender and had some oversight from investment operations, but it largely ran its course as a ring fence program and wasn't really integrated in the investment decision making, even though it had a small incremental alpha budget. We still maintain a single agent lender, but we have added some direct lending arrangements over time where it's made sense. And this is where we expect will be an area of growth for the program in coming years. It was only around five years ago that we segregated activities appropriately between the investment and operations teams or front and back office. And since then, the program has added more in the way of dedicated resourcing to support the function. So that's really evidenced in legal, in operations, where we have a dedicated cash and collateral operations team, but we have engaged with tax services. We have a counterparty management group that's been fleshed out and provides some oversight to some of our counterparties and the exposures and qualities that we have within our counterparty set. So it is a more integrated function now. Our budget and strategy is endorsed by the investment committee and our total portfolio management team. So similar to our other internal investment mandates, securities lending has, I guess, a similar front to back of the investment process. And probably the other changes that have occurred over the last four or five years have been in relation to data, which historically was very immature, risk management and program governance. And technology is something that we're on the way with now, where we're looking at a vendor solution for balance sheet management in general. Securities lending is integrated as an internal investment process. It's still considered as small contributor to incremental income. And the program risk appetite for loss, either via counterparty default or cash reinvestment, is fairly low. And therefore, the rules that we have on the program are also reflective of that. On the lending side, we're able to lend all publicly listed assets are lendable and unrestricted. So that includes debt and equity instruments. We have a split of decision-making. So we have the agency program that typically lends on an overnight basis and I guess is responsible for a lot of the lending churn. And really the internal team is responsible for some of the things that are a little bit more nuanced. So it might be term lending or where the collateral sets outside of what the agent lender might have in the SLA agreement with them. As far as loan types go, again, it's a blend of overnight and term in relation to the tenor of the loans, but generally short term, so out to three months. And term lending really is, our HQLA term lending has been an incremental revenue source for the program. Cash reinvestment loans, something that historically we've also been able to earn decent income from lending our domestic government bonds. So Australian government bonds and semi-government bonds, although at the moment, given where short rates are anchored, that's probably less so. We're not a borrower, so the Super Industry Supervision Act, which we call the CIS Act, has some restrictions around borrowing and the nature of the fund and the strong inflows, we haven't really needed to be a borrower, so that hasn't restricted us in any way, but we are an outright lender for revenue. 
On collateral, our starting point really is the fund really needs to hold and support the collateral. So where we have portfolios that already hold the collateral that we're receiving, that's a really good starting point. We then look to enforceability in the event of default. So that's more a legal and regulatory lens. And then we're also looking at the market risks of the collateral in a default liquidation. So we are open to receive hard to fund markets like Korea and Chinese equity. However, we'd be less open to things like SPACs where the fund just doesn't invest them, them as a starting point. Rehypothecation is something that we've been able to do sparsely. Again, technology is probably an inhibitor there, but we have had instances where we've rehypothecated collateral, and that's something that we will, will look at in future as well. And then probably lastly, on the cash investment side, it's very short term. We take really small amounts of credit and duration mismatch risk where we feel we can add some revenue to the program. But important to note that the cash investments of the securities lending program are not commingled currently with the other cash of the fund. So it tends to be a smaller pool and is very small at the moment. Mike, can you elaborate a little bit on your risk management process for the securities financing program? Yeah, sure. So we have a mandate that governs the program and the mandate has a lot of the higher level rules that we need to adhere to. So examples of that would be exposure limits at a borrower or counterparty level, minimum ratings for counterparties. We also have collateral concentration limits at the asset class and sub-asset class. And then Really, down from that, we have stress testing that we perform on counterparties on a daily basis, which gives us an idea of expected loss in counterparty default scenarios, looking at historical timelines. And that's really important for us as we're quite flexible on eligible collateral schedules. So we can cross-asset lend, so lend debt and receive equity collateral and we're open to what a borrower would find valuable on their collateral set. So we're able to do that really is by the stress testing and by having a good baseline collateral eligibility criteria that we've tested. So that might be things that are dynamic when we negotiate in ECS in relation to liquidity rules like ADV on equities or minimum issue size for debt. And same with haircuts, we might adjust haircuts in the negotiation stage based on the collateral that we're prepared to receive. On lending, we monitor the loans versus a set of criteria that might be things like the percentage of free float, but also the revenue that we earn. So we want to make sure that we're getting a good risk reward for the loans that we're making. Outside of things like market risk, we're also very strong on operational risk. So Apart from annual due diligence of the agent lender, we have just completed a review of our internal controls and then updated our mandate and some of our supporting documents to make sure that the controls we have on the program are appropriate and the, the residual risks are being managed to the best that they can. So that's operational risk and obviously things like reputational risk come up from time to time with securities lending as well. And we have active engagement with our PR team and wherever we need to our portfolio teams to respond to any queries that might come up in relation to securities lending. And there's been a couple of topical issues with things like GameStop in the past year. 
Thank you, Mike. Yoris and Mike, a question for both of you. What can we expect the program to look like in five years? And what capabilities are you looking to build? That's a good question, Shireen. We're really setting up for growth. As Mike said earlier, our fund is increasing 10, 20% a year. So at the moment, we are about 200 billion Australian dollars. And we're expecting in three to five years to be almost 300, 400 billion. So we're really trying to see what can we do to be keeping invested and how can we keep up with the growth. With that, we have a lot of initiatives at the moment to keep that in tandem and also stay ahead of that. So one of the big things we're doing in our team is implementing a liquidity system to be much better on top of our liquidity and balance sheet management, which also is looking more at initial margining and collateral management, which is a very big focus for us. Furthermore, we are really looking at ways to better implement how can we find ways to be more efficient and cost-effective in our ways of implementation. So looking at low-cost strategies and looking also at the cost of implementation. Yeah, and I guess with the securities lending program, um, as I mentioned before, we're looking to build out more direct relationships and certainly our membership in the GPFA is hopefully leading to something more down the track there. We're also looking at different trade formats for us. So things within the synthetic lending space that is probably relatively mature with some participants, but not for us, but we see that as a good way to supplement revenue of the program. We're looking at things like True Pledge, where we have some documentation in place, but we haven't implemented yet but we are considered a high risk-weighted asset exposure to some of our borrowers. So that's something we're implementing that might get better utilisation on our program and an uptick in revenue. And Yoris mentioned initial margin. So unclear margin rules have really been the first instant the funders had where it's been required to use non-cash for multiple reasons, lending and margining. So there's obviously an optimization decision there and the concept of using those assets to best meet revenue needs whilst also reducing costs. So the idea of having a cheapest to deliver hierarchy and optimization decision is important for my function to build when we go live in September. And as we build out further uses for non-cash, that optimization decision becomes a little bit more complex. Furthermore, we're also looking to expand our global presence. So we already have a UK office where we have some traders, but we're looking to expand, especially from our exposure management and also our balance sheet management to have people in the UK and potentially in other places in the world to also be where the assets are and be more in the correct time zone. One of the disadvantages and maybe also an advantage is that we're in Australia. So we are as an advantage, always ahead of markets because markets close in the US and then basically our market opens. So we have time to react on certain events. On the flip side is that markets are open when most of us are asleep. So we have people that work evenings and nights, but that's why we also have our UK office to facilitate that. On projects, most of our peers are well aware of this is in the library transition. That's a big focus of our team to see across the board how we can most implement that and have a smooth transition. We're of the view that we're not taking active positions and we're not trying to up this transition. It's really how can we best implement it for our members in the most efficient way. Thank you, Yoris and Mike, for those interesting insights today. 
Do you have any final thoughts that you would like to share with us? Thanks, Shireen. I think in summary, I'd really say about the securities financing program is it's a relatively young program within Australian super, but we've got dedicated resources that are focused on improvements. So we really like the runway that we have ahead of us. Yoris has mentioned technology. That's going to be a big thing for us. Integrated use of the balance sheet with other decisions that the fund would like to reduce costs and increase revenue. And really to explore other avenues in light of compression in revenue across the board in securities lending. So that might be direct lending and some disintermediation, or it might be new formats of lending, such as synthetic lending, or just different collateral sets in hard-to-fund markets. So we can be open to borrowers to increase revenue of the program while still managed within our risk framework is where we're heading. Thank you again, Mike and Yoris, for your time today. Thank you to our listeners of another edition of Peer Connections. As always, if you have any queries or suggestions, please feel free to reach out. 